Hello, and welcome to Primary Sources, a featured production of Radio Cows. Here on Primary Sources, we focus on people who are making a difference in Little Rock and Arkansas. Some you might have heard of, and some you haven't heard of, but probably want to know about. Check out cows.org slash podcasts for a free podcast of Primary Sources interviews. This is Brian Robertson, and, and we are in the Arkansas Studies Institute building doing an interview for the Butler Center's Arkansas-Vietnam War Project. Your name, sir? My name is Jacob Edward Odell III. Most people call me Eddie. <laughs> okay, Eddie. Tell me a little bit about yourself. For example, when and where you were born. I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, uh, July 12, 1950. Okay. And what were your parents' names? Uh, uh, Jacob Edward Odell Jr. and Ray Ellen Odell. Okay. Now, what did your did both of your parents work, or did just your father work? My what dad did they do for a living? My dad worked for the waterworks, okay. and uh, he spent his whole life working for them. Uh, he managed end, ended up managing. Lake Winona, and then manage Lake Mall Mill, where we get our major water supply. Mm-hmm. Wow, interesting. Did you have, have any siblings, brothers or sisters? I, I had three brothers. Okay. Now, where did you fall into that? I'm school? the oldest. The oldest, okay. What was that like? <laughs> Guess you got to pick on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, I wasn't real nice to my next to the oldest brother but uh, Uh we we made amends through the years Mm -hmm. now where did you go to school Uh, Little Rock Central High okay I ended ended up teaching there really uh, years later taught there for nine years Mm mm-hmm so did you graduate from Central yes yeah what year was that do you remember Uh, 68 So what led you to join the service? Uh, my, my grades were terrible. Um, I made C's and D's throughout my time in high school and, and I knew that I would be drafted. So I just decided to go on and get it over with. Mm-hmm. Was there any particular reason that you decided to join the Marine Corps? I was. I was in great shape back then, and uh, I, I, uh, I was gung-ho, cocky, and uh, those were the major things, I guess. Yeah. So what were your parents' reactions to you joining? Uh, my dad thought I was crazy. Uh, <laughs> he, he thought, I sh- if anything, I should join the Army, which prob- I probably should have, but uh, it was something I... I felt I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Did you have any particular feelings about communism and the spread of communism or anything like that? Uh, some. Um, I wasn't very political back then uh, as I am today. Um, I went from being not not caring one way or another on, on politics but uh, when I got older uh, well during Vietnam I, I found 
found out how the politics plays in war, and that made me more liberal. Uh, and when I went into college, I was more liberal then. And somewhere along the line, I, I reached an epiphany through the years and became more conservative. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, usually somebody will, uh, through the ages, will be become more conservative in their thoughts uh, and I, I call it an epiphany uh-huh. yeah I can see that so where did you uh, do you remember did you enlist here in Little Rock yes yeah. uh, uh, signed up in I believe we we signed up in the old uh, post office building right by the courthouse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they did our physical there did you go down there by yourself? Yes. You did? Okay. Yeah. I was 18 at the time, so my parents didn't have to sign for me. Okay. All right. So where did you do uh, boot camp? Uh, uh, San Diego. Okay. And, and um, from what I hear, they don't even have uh, boot camp there anymore. Hmm. Uh, um, and then we did, um, after three months... I guess it was three months of boot camp. Then you go to uh, Camp Pendleton for tra- for your training, and I was just a rifleman, so uh, I just uh, went through the rifleman training. So what did you think about boot camp? I was in great shape back then, <laughs> so it, it didn't affect me that much. Um, you, you had people that... Uh, well, the drill instructors back then could beat on you and get away with it, and and they would. And uh, one time I didn't knock hard enough, like Gomer Powell, you know, and uh, uh, at the door. And the drill instructor was from Little Rock, and uh, he was African American, had gone to Central High, and he knew that I had gone to Central High, being Caucasian. He didn't think too highly of me. Yeah. Well, uh, he hit me with a, a baseball bat uh, in the stomach, and like I said, I was in great shape, so I just bounced back, and I was I was okay with yeah. it. And uh, after that, he left me alone. He hmm. Never never mess with me again. Mm-hmm. But uh, in boot camp, they would try and mentally mess with your mind. Uh, we had a guy that was Asian. Mm-hmm. And he would, uh, they would call him the uh, gook. Uh, and uh, they were trying to see if he could handle the pressure, and he couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up breaking at the point. But we had several people that broke, and uh, they got him out of there with a medical discharge, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's about all of yeah. camp. Yeah. So do you remember when you, I know you said you kind of assumed you were going to go to Vietnam. Do you remember when you actually found out? I think it was, they send you home for, uh, after your training, they'll send you home and uh, for a month almost. And that way you get to say bye to everybody and you won't see them for over a year. And, uh, they 
at that point tell you where uh, that you are going to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. They when I when I came back from visiting my folk, folks, um, I went back to Camp Pendleton waiting to be sent over, and they offered me a job as a cook, and uh, I turned it down because I, they said I would be eventually sent over to Vietnam anyway, and uh, so I, I just wanted to get it over with. Yeah. yeah. So how did you get over to Vietnam? Uh, they flew us commercial. Uh, the flight went through uh, Hawaii, and so I got to see Diamond Head for an hour, <laughs> and and then we flew on uh, to uh, Okinawa. At that point, but, uh, on the flight we had uh, uh, the guy sitting next to me was the cousin. Uh, Waylon Jennings and he did not want to go and when we got to Hawaii he pretended like he was having a heart attack and they took him off of the airplane and uh, in an ambulance and we never saw him again so Uh we don't know what happened yeah so was everybody on the plane going to Vietnam I don't remember I can't remember yeah and so you went to Hawaii and then Okinawa and then you went from Okinawa to Vietnam? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in Okinawa you leave your sea bags, uh, all of your personal valuables and stuff and they claim that they're going to keep them locked up in a place and they'd be safe. Well, they weren't safe. <laughs> um, I, I didn't have much of anything though, but uh, they did take what they could. Mm-hmm. So do you remember where you flew in? Did you fly? I guess you flew into Vietnam. Yes, uh, Da Nang. Okay. And um, as soon as you get off of the airplane, the heat hits you, and it's just like like that, mm-hmm. and you're you're trying to catch your breath. They uh, they did have MPs run up on the plane uh, with with rifles ready, saying that they would shoot you if you made if you got out of line anywhere uh, you stay in line and and do what you're told and and we did (laughs) yeah hmm so I I, I'm curious why do you think that they would do something I mean well had they had problems before that you know guys getting out of line or something that they felt like they had to go to that extreme extreme? yeah (laughs) I don't know (laughs) I don't know huh that's kind of interesting. So, did you, um, you landed in Da Nang, were you in Da Nang for a while? Or yes, did you go uh, else? for about uh, two or three days, and uh, you didn't get to leave the base, you had to stay in a certain area, and, uh, but, but going from the air, the airport to the uh, base that you were at, you got to see a little bit of the people out on the street, and and there was a place called Dog Patch that you went through, which was uh, the Vietnamese people. You'd see some prostitutes, and uh, you'd see little kids out on the street uh, uh, 
using the bathroom. Uh, you'd see grown-ups using the bathroom out in the street. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a different world. From a boy from Little Rock, Arkansas, I bet that was a little shocking or eye-opening, I yeah. guess you could mm-hmm. say. Yeah. So, you know, had you been assigned at that point to your unit, or did you know where which unit you were going to go to? or did uh, We didn't know until okay. we were being flown to our I can't remember if I was flown or choppered I'm sure I was flown because the um, my group was uh, uh, I was I was assigned to kilo three four third marine division and our rear area was further north uh, Quang Tree Dong Ha in that area, and uh, uh, I stayed there for about three days, and that's where you are issued your rifle and your uh, flak jacket and backpacks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But none of it is new stuff; it's just stuff that's been recycled uh, right. to different to the newer uh, newer grunt. Right. So what would you say that the uh, morale was like at that point with the guys, the new guys coming in? Well, the, when you're back in the rear, the, they don't have any thought of you one way or another. You are to fill a spot right there. Uh, so at night, you would have to stand uh, watch out on the perimeter and that was the only usefulness they had for you at that time. And, and uh, uh, that was my initiation to uh, uh, to rats uh, out on the perimeters where people would throw their garbage, uh, sea rations and stuff. And when they did, uh, the rats would, would come and eat them. And uh, in the middle of the night, if it wasn't your watch, you'd be laying down sleeping and uh, on the ground, and uh, uh, rats would come up uh, on your chest, and and you you just grab it and throw it as far as you could, and uh, and then you try and get some sleep again. Uh-huh. I never got bit by a rat though. Uh-huh. Some guys out in the bush, uh, when we were out in the bush, if if they were getting short time uh, to stay, they would prick themselves with the look little can opener that we had to open the sea rations they would prick themselves somewhere and say they got bit by a rat and then they would get sent back to the rear area where it was safe but they would have to get those rabies shots uh-huh, uh-huh. and that was in the stomach I yeah think. yeah and, and i i couldn't see the value of that did <laughs> <laughs> not sound too good no um so do you remember where you were assigned to first? Um, we were choppered from from Quang Tree or Dong Ha to a place called LZ Stud. It's uh, our Vandergrift. And it's it's a place that is just southeast of uh, Quezon, a few miles from there. And uh, that was the closest rear area that we got to go to 
whenever we were pulled out of the bush for anything. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, from there, we were cho- choppered to uh, a hill on the DMZ. This, the DMZ has uh, was an area that uh, the North Vietnamese weren't supposed to come down and we weren't supposed to go in. But we stayed on this hill and we would go into the DMZ and, and the hill was in the southern part of the southern line of the DMZ and I guess they were getting saying they were getting around it by being legally not in the DMZ but we really were mm-hmm. and, and uh, we stayed there for Oh, over a month, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, saw some action there. Uh, we would usually see something. It, it any action would be could be a, a firefight, uh, an ambush. Uh, it it could be mortars coming in, uh, or we would fire mortars. Uh, we traveled as a company. Uh, of men, not uh, it wasn't a large company, but I, I can't remember how many people were on the hill when I got there. Oh, when we did land on the hill, the the helicopter it, it's not like the the Huey helicopters that you see on TV. Uh, the Marines are in the long helicopters. Uh, I think they call them. Sea Knights, mm-hmm. uh, Chinooks, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember. But uh, anyway, they, they, told, they told us to jump out of the back end of it because they wouldn't land the helicopter completely. You just kind of hover. And yeah. uh, my first introduction to, to the bush was they, th- they th- threw us a mailbag out there and they said, land on the, on the mailbag. And I did, and when I did, I landed right between a stump, my legs right between. <laughs> and uh, I looked to my left, and there were two uh, body bags. Uh, two of our guys were were killed, uh, and they they were loading them onto the helicopter. So, and uh, so, what were your living conditions like there? You slept on the ground. Uh, the Marines dug trenches. They didn't dig foxholes, or they said they didn't dig foxholes, but you, you dig what you need to. I didn't, I wasn't into digging much. I, I, was, I was a slacker on that, and uh, I, I just felt I, I, I'd take my chances. Um, but they had already dug a, a trench all the way around the top of this hill, and they, uh, from different times, the the top had been blown apart, and and there were stumps maybe that high, uh, and you could hide behind a stump if you had to, mm-hmm. which I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, we would see action maybe once once a month or, or twice a month. Uh, and like I said, it wasn't hand-to-hand combat. Never, never had to do that. We had way too much power mm-hmm. uh, 
over the enemy on that. Uh, you, what you see on TV, uh, I'm not saying some of those things didn't happen. It, it just didn't happen where we were mm -hmm. and never heard of it happening. Never heard of a place being overrun by the enemy uh, where we were at. Right. So were you uh, mostly involved with the NVA? Yes. Who you went up yeah, against? When, yeah. uh, up in the mountains, when something moves, it's the enemy or an animal, mm -hmm. one of the two. Uh, they said that there were rock apes up there that threw things at you from the trees, but we never saw that. Um, I did see a few animals, uh, two snakes, and uh, don't know what kind they were. But, uh, up in the mountains, I only saw one, and then I, when I transferred down around Da Nang later on, um, I did see a bamboo viper hmm. and had to kill it with uh, one of those e-tools to shovel, hmm. and I just killed it. It was in a, a, a foxhole. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's, oh, that's one of the reasons I don't like foxholes. Uh -huh. But there's certain things that that uh, come to mind that when when you you got back to the rear area maybe once every other month uh, maybe maybe every three months and and when you get back there there's a certain smell that you're uh, that to this very day when I smell diesel fuel I think of safety because that was it permeated the air back in the rear area and uh, any any type of vest I think of like a, a, a flak jacket mm -hmm. and so I think of that as something comforting protecting right it's kind of weird that's <laughs> no, not weird not weird at all um, so while you were up on the hill did you guys ever come under attack while you were up there? Um, sort of. Um, what we would do is we would go on patrols in uh, from the top of the hill. We'd go down. Uh, there was a place we would get water uh, and uh, uh, some somebody got uh, shot at going, going to get water. Uh, you would send a squad down to get water are up going patrol and uh, one one time I was uh, I don't know if I should say this or not but I was I was on the shitter <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> when, when you're when you're when you're at a spot and you're going to be there for more than like three or four days the Marines build a shitter and it'll be out of uh, uh, thin uh, wood that uh, crates that you would unload uh, the mortar rounds in, and, and you would make a, a, a toilet there. Mm -hmm. Well, I was on that, and uh, when all of a sudden I heard crack, 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 and it was the enemy sound of rifles, and but it was off in the distance a little bit, and what had happened was one of the uh, other squads had got uh, walked into an ambush, but the enemy uh, had uh, shot the, the point man and just shot him in the arm uh, and 
he wasn't hurt real bad. But uh, anyway, they told us to saddle up, and, and here I was in that predicament. <laughs> and and uh, I tried to clean as best I could, <laughs> and uh, uh, we took off. And, and uh, while we were out, out there, we had, they had us get on, online and go up this hill, and um, um, we got, uh, we, they were shooting at us, and we were shooting at them, and, and uh, we all got down on the ground, and the machine gunner uh, was next to me, and you don't want to get close to the machine gunner, I found out real quick. Mm -hmm. The shells will sh shoot over and they're hot. Mm -hmm. And one of them went down my, my back of <laughs> my flak jacket and was burning. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I, I put my arm up like this to block anything. And, and uh, his canister of uh, machine gun shells were was here and a bullet hit that. Uh, canister and ricocheted off. Wow! But uh, that was the closest I ever got to being shot, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we ended up getting two, uh, two of the enemy that day, and one of them was a Chinese observer. Hmm. Uh, his he was physically bigger than uh, the Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. You could tell that he stood out. Mm -hmm. So what what we happened took, with him? We took the papers off of both of them and um, any weapons and and took them back back up the hill and oh uh, my the reason I told the story about being on the shitter huh. was that while we were online going up the hill I kept smelling something <laughs> and I thought it was me and not being clean and and. Uh, um, it turned out that it was me, but it wasn't that. It was the adrenaline had caused me to have such bad breath that it was huh. just in my face. And, and um, I don't know, you, you just, different things affect you whenever you're in a situation that kicks in that adrenaline. Uh-huh. So... At, at that point, you're the new guy, basically, or one yeah. of the newer guys. Yeah, I was supposed to be the point man that day, th that day, but for some reason, the um, our uh, sergeant told told me no, wait another day. And the sergeant was very very intelligent guy. We called him Deputy Dog, and he was from New York. And he was a conscientious objector. Hmm. He carried a pistol, but no no rounds in it. And he would direct fire, and uh, he, he could read a map real good. He taught me. Once I got over there, I, I knew I had to take care of myself. And uh, I could not depend upon my fellow man, because the very first night we were on a, a listening post, and one of the guys fell asleep that was supposed to be awake. And they came down in, from uh, the hill and threw rocks at us to wake us up. And uh, he, all he, the only thing he got in trouble for was he had to pay, they took 50 bucks out of his hmm. paycheck. And, and that was his punishment. Well, we could have been killed. Right. You know? 
And uh, so I, everything I could, I learned. I learned how to read a map. Uh, I could I could tell where what a topographical map where where water would probably be at on the edge of a hill, uh, so you wouldn't have to go down to the uh, jungle down in the bottom mm-hmm. uh, all the time. And uh, I could I learned to call in mortars so that you wouldn't have to do any cl- close combat, and uh, uh, that helped save the day quite a bit. Um, trying to think what else I learned. Learned how to use the machine gun. Um, there was, there's some things that uh, they try to teach you in their training at Camp Pendleton, but it you need to do it hands-on, and mm-hmm. and they didn't teach everything that way. Right. So did you? I'm curious on your flak jacket. Did you wear that all the time? Or? No, uh, just whenever you went out on patrol, mm-hmm. and uh, your your company would travel from one ridge top to another, and and the you would have a lieutenant that would be in charge of the company. Never saw anybody over a lieutenant controlling a, a company. Uh, now, I did see a colonel chopper in one time to take a look at a hill, but that was it. Um, but uh, w- when you'd go on patrol, you would go down the the, the ridge line, down the hill to the in the jungle down below, and you would you'd have a set place that uh, they would tell you to go check out and cer- certain points. Mm-hmm. Um, so, could you tell me a little bit? You mentioned being on a listening post. Now, explain that to me. Okay, a listening post and an ambush is two different things. An, uh, an ambush could be a day or a night uh, on, on a uh, on a trail, on the edge of a trail. A listening post, you, you would be on, your company would be on top of this hill for a night, and then uh, they would send out listening posts on different parts of the ridge line uh, or down the hill so that the, the enemy wouldn't sneak up on them. And if they were you were supposed to signal in on the radio you weren't supposed to talk you were supposed to click certain message and uh, the you weren't supposed to use your rifle only as a last resort uh, you had a claymore mine set out and you and you could throw grenades but you weren't supposed to give your position away especially at night where they'd see uh, the flash and uh, uh, that was one of one of the first things that happened once was that uh, there on on that hill in the DMZ was that um, we were on a listening post and everything was okay that uh, one side of the hill had gotten uh, one of the enemy, 
earlier in the night. But early in the morning, it had quietened it down all through the night. And uh, oh, about, I'd say, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, it's still dark. Uh, it was my watch. And uh, you have four, four guys out on the listening post. And so my time was the early morning watch. So I'm, I just sat up and, and I heard, heard somebody coming up the hill and down the trail. And I, I w tried to wake up the guys and they, uh, um, they didn't wake up. Well, I got on the thing and sig on the radio and, uh, signaled that the, there was some enemy coming. Well, the, um, the, the enemy heard, well, I, I threw a grenade down at him because I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get the Claymore mine to work because it was on safety mm -hmm. and they had not taught taught me about the safety on it. And I was trying to click that sucker and it wouldn't work. So I threw a grenade. The grenade was an old Korean War grenade shaped like an apple. And uh, it's not the pineapple kind, but an apple. And I threw it, it did not go off. But it scared them and they threw a grenade and uh, it, in, in some of the tree brush, it, hit up, landed up in there, and then it sort of bounced down, and it went off, and I watched it. Uh, I turned my head to it, and I shouldn't have because it blinded me for just a few seconds, and it messed up my hearing, uh, and I think to this day I still have trouble hearing. Uh, my, my hearing is about 50% now in my in one ear, and uh, but... Uh, I'll get a hearing aid pretty soon mm -hmm. on it. Um, but the next morning, well, well, the enemy left, ran down the hill, and didn't come back. My guys, uh, the three that were with me, ran up the hill and left me. And so I, here I am with the radio and and my weapon. And so if they were going to come back, I would have shot them at that point with my rifle. But uh, the next morning, we went down the hill to see if there's any evidence anything and my grenade was right in the middle of the trail and, and it was still sitting there and right by it was three uh, hats the enemy uh, I, is, I'd never seen it before but it but it it was cloth dark green hats that were shaped like the hats uh, Snoopy war in in the Baron fight uh -huh, of the Baron, uh -huh. and uh, there was one uh, old one and two brand new ones. So it huh. was an old salt and two guys, but uh, we never did did see them. And that was my real introduction, I think. Yeah, well, I think that's a good point to stop for a minute and let's take a little break okay and get started back this is brian robertson oh. and <clears throat> we're back with eddie odell talking about his um vietnam war experiences 
Um, I think we finished up when we stopped. We talked about um, you being on the listening post. Um, did you have anything else to share about that, or did? No, not that I can think of on that. Um, I've got a few points that I thought I might mention to you. Yeah, that would be great. Um, While I was there in Vietnam, we were on top of a hill one day, and we had gotten some mail, and it was... uh, we, We didn't get mail, but like once a month, maybe less than that. And uh, uh, the mail took about two months to get to us. Wow. Um, but we got gotten some, um, the Marines and Navy ha- has a newspaper that they would put out. And I can't remember the name, Sea Tiger, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would uh, uh, put some news on there back from back home, just a little brief deal and uh, uh, that was the first that I found out about the moon landing <laughs> and that was sometime in end of July yeah I think so, think so. 69 well, right well I found out about it in uh, end of August somewhere around there and I was telling the guys about it and, uh, <laughs> you would have thought somebody back in the rear would have told us <laughs> you would think so that's yeah. a pretty big deal yeah <laughs> uh, Sometimes we would get choppered in, every once in a while, we would get choppered in some type of food, uh, uh, like a, a big deal of Spam, uh, some uh, cans of fruit juice, uh, pineapple juice, or, or uh, 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 well, uh, once we got some beer out there, and it was hot beer, but uh-huh. uh, you had your choice of Carling Black Label Beer, the, uh, our Fresca, <laughs> just plain Fresca, and uh, I didn't drink back then, and, and, but I drank that day. <laughs> I drank beer instead of Fresca. Um, I was point man for almost nine months, and it was because mainly I didn't trust anybody else to do the job. Yeah, I thought they usually rotated that out. They, they did, yeah. yeah. But I, I didn't feel confident in anybody else to do it. I wasn't the squad leader, but I talked the squad leader into doing it, and he he knew I could handle the job. And anytime, um, I, I had this one guy behind me that carried uh, carried one of the M seventy nine blooper guns. And he carried a shotgun round, and he knew that if I hit the ground, he was to shoot over my head. And and uh, uh, but we never had to do that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what was it like being point man? It seems like that would be a a little unnerving. Yeah, but I mean, was, how far out were you ahead of the main column? Not not very far. Uh, it, it was you might be. Oh, uh, 20 feet Uh-oh. in front of them, something mm-hmm. like that. Not very far. But um, I never uh, never walked into an ambush. Never. Uh, when I was uh, a squad leader later on, uh, I made sure every one of our guys got back unhurt. Uh, and there were no uh, 
Purple Hearts while I was squad leader. Uh, you could call in mortars and, and get the job done. Right at the very last of my career, uh, I was down around Da Nang out on Hill 10, and uh, I guess I better explain that a little better. Um, I was in the, the Johnson buildup of Vietnam, and I was also in the Nixon pullout of Vietnam, sort of. And this is what happened. After nine months, they started pulling people out and sending them to Okinawa. My guys were being sent there, but I volunteered to stay over into Vietnam because I had heard that if you stay over in a combat situation for more than a year, you could uh, get an early out. Well, I wanted out. And uh, so I volunteered to stay over. And instead of going to Okinawa, they shipped me down to this Hill 10 outside of Da Nang. And while I was th there, they, they asked who had the most seniority. And I had the most seniority. Well, they gave me a job working with intelligence at just riding shotgun on a Jeep. And, and every day we, I would ride into Da Nang and uh, I'd get to see some of the city that way. And uh, it, it was a different, different job and, uh, and it was a safe area. Mm -hmm. Well, after about a month, after uh, I got to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, in that rear area. And, and then right the day after Christmas, the uh, captain came to me and, and told me that they pulled out too many people and oh. they needed somebody to go out in the bush. And, and uh, uh, he said that we could get one of the younger guys, newer guys, but he'd be out there for a year. And he said, Ed, you, you would be out there for two months. And he said, can you do it for us? And I said, yeah, I can do it. And so I, I stuck it out for two months out in the bush, which I should have turned it down, but <laughs> I, uh, it, it was a different type of warfare, and, and uh, uh, you got to see some of the people that way uh, as well. But right at that end of the tour, they had s something that they were, p a new weapon, not a weapon, but a new item that helped save lives, that if they'd have had it at the beginning of the war in Vietnam, it would have saved thousands of lives. and it's. It was called the Starlight Scope, and, and it was a, a item uh, like a te telescope that you could look out, and it would anything with heat would generate off of it. It would stand out, and you could see a body running through a field or something. And uh, uh, we were able to use that for um, oh maybe 48 hours, and, and uh, during that time we saw some of the enemy uh, through there. And we called in mortars, and we got them. Uh, it, it was it's that it was that technology that saved some lives mm -hmm. on our part. Right. Um, let's see. Unfortunately, uh, uh, we didn't get to keep that, and it was shifted to, to another company. And uh, after that, one of our guys. Uh, was killed, uh, and I think that if we'd have had that 
I think he may still be alive today. And that guy was from Arkansas. His name is Jay Childers. Uh, the night that he died, I had dysentery real bad. And I had dysentery about three times while I was over there. When you drink water from uh, just holes in the ground, uh, you're going to get it eventually. And uh, well, anyway, I uh, I had to stay back in in the with the company that night, and I was the squad leader. But they sent these guys, our guys, out on a on a, a ambush site, and one of our guys, uh, the enemy came up this trail, and one of our guys jumped the gun that was on the end and Jay was the next guy to him and the enemy uh, shot back and instead of getting the guy that jumped the gun they got Jay instead hmm. and uh, Jay was uh, he was young like me I was only 18 uh, when uh, when I first landed in Vietnam and he was too but he uh, he was married and ha uh, his wife was pregnant and he never got to see his kid uh, from what I've heard, his uh, son was studying to be a doctor, but that was 30-something years ago, 40-something uh, years ago, so uh, was when he was born, so he's he's 40, probably 40 years old now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know what the situation is with his, his wife remarried uh, somebody there li living, I think, down in Louisville, Arkansas. That's about all I know on that one, though. Yeah. But it was a shame that yeah. uh, he hadn't been in country two or three months. It happened. Yeah, that is a shame. So, while you were out, you know, on patrol and and everything, in the movies you always see the things about the booby traps. Did you ever? How? how true is that as far as the movies because you know movies always yeah. make it into a big deal I I never saw any booby traps um, where we were at up in the mountains sometimes there were trails and sometimes you had to make your own most of the time you made your own trails and uh, uh, sometimes that might mean you'd have to jump up with your back into the jungle to to flatten it out sometimes you had a machete that you could do that with but most of the time you'd have to just break through it and, and if you're point man you're gonna you, your your pants are gonna get ripped you're gonna have jungle rot all up and down your arms and uh, when I came back from Vietnam I went to a skin doctor and uh, showed him what I had and he said it'd go away and it did uh, but he uh, he wanted to show it to the other doctors to and <laughs> ask them what what problem I had, and at the end of it, he told them what it was, <laughs> but they didn't know. Yeah. But um, oh, uh, you didn't wear any underpants. You didn't brush your teeth. Uh, there was no capability of that. You saved water for drinking and shaving. You had to shave in the Marines even. You had to keep your hair uh, cut short. And uh, when I came back from R&R, &R, 
in Tokyo, my hair was too long. And I, I always questioned authority back then. And they told me to get a hair, ordered me to get a haircut. Well, I shaved my head mm-hmm. into a mohawk. <laughs> that was a no-no. And uh, uh, I got in trouble over that. And then, so I ended up just shaving the head at that point. But uh, that was... That was an interesting time. Yeah. Well, speaking of R&R, that was actually something I was going to ask you about. Did, did I take it you got to go on R&R at least once? Yeah. And uh, you went to Tokyo. Yeah. Um, I was supposed to go to Sydney, Australia, but I got bumped by an officer, which is another time where I question authority. <laughs> uh, I have a thing about uh, officers uh, and, and their privileges over over us but um, I, I went to Tokyo and I promised the guys that I'd buy some booze hard liquor marine enlisted cannot have hard booze and uh, so while I was over there I had a real good time uh, spent too much money really the things were high priced then uh, I thought I was getting ripped off paying 50 cents for a soda pop hmm. over there. Um, let's see. Went on some tours, and, uh, uh, oh, the ladies would come up to you and talk to you in English, practicing their English, hmm. and uh, they would get embarrassed when I'd ask them if they were married or not. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, some would say yes, some no. Um I got to see Mount Fuji hmm. and uh, oh, the Emperor's uh, Palace or whatever it was, and and I went on a pla- uh, place where the Emperor had a uh, a place where they got away for a while, and uh, that place they had a, a an authentic Japanese dinner and got to eat some. I don't know, raw squid or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. Yeah. Um, but after six months, you get that week of R&R. And uh, I had uh, I had lied to him and told him that I had a half-brother down in Cameron Bay, Vietnam. And all he was was a high school buddy. <laughs> but uh, they let me go for an extra... 24 hours, and I flew down there in a C-130. Uh, the you just sat down on the on the floor of it, and, and there'd have lines of people that were beside you. Well, the whole trip down there, which was a good ways down uh, from where I was at, uh, was a German Shepherd, uh, and and that dog the whole time was just, <laughs> but. Uh, I got to see Melton Ott. Uh, he, he graduated from Central, and uh, he was in the Navy. Uh, his job was to check on sonar uh, to make sure no, none of uh, the enemy had any frogmen uh, trying to sabotage the ships mm. that came in there. Mm. I think that was the place where Oh, I can't think of the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Roger Staubach? I think that was where he was stationed at. Yeah. 
through through the football there on the beach <laughs> in his old tour. <laughs> but uh, um, when I came back to uh, the Vietnam, I got all the way out of, of my rear area of uh, of I was hitchhiking from Quang Tree to Dong Ha, and uh, I got it on the outskirts of Dong Ha, and the MP stopped me and uh, wanted to know what the clinking noise was in my uh, bag, and it, it was the booze that I'd bought for the guys, and uh, I tried to bribe him with a half pint, but he, he didn't go for it, and uh, he called the officer of the day. They arrested me and put me in a, a little building with a, it had a little opening with little bars on it and, and the opening you could put some sea rations through and uh, the building was oh half the size of this room here uh, and they uh, called my uh, first sergeant the next morning he came and got me uh, they, he told me I'd, I was going to be busted for it, and I told him, big deal. I was, I was only a, a, a private first class at that point, and that did not go well with him. <laughs> but uh, I never got punished for it. He got hit by a rocket uh, hitting his hooch uh, one day back in the rear, and he, got, he was killed. Hmm. And uh, none of the paperwork was ever done. So technically, I was uh, never arrested. Right. <laughs> right. But the, the officer of the day uh, got all that booze, and he was smiling. Another I bet he time, had a good day. Yes. Uh, <laughs> another time to question authority. <laughs> so while you were um, back out you know, out in the bush and everything, were, were there any moments or incidents or anything that kind of stand out from some of the others? Um, you would mentioned earlier um, when we were talking off camera about um, going into a village one night. Could you tell me a little bit about that? That was that near was like? the end of my career there. Uh, it was outside of Da Nang and um, the the enemy had hit this uh, this one village. They were trying to get grab some of the young people to make them become some of their uh, uh, soldiers. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, one of our squads had 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 caught killed some of them mm -hmm. and then we had to go through this village to find it anymore and we didn't see any more of them in there but it was uh, it uh, it was a full moon so it wasn't too dark but you uh, you had to go through hooch to hooch uh, checking to see if there were any of the enemy there and and you'd see a mama sign and papa sign in there, and you didn't know if they had a rifle or not. But you, you weren't supposed to shoot, and we didn't. And one, one of them we went into, and and it was a water buffalo in there <laughs> that they had hidden, hidden it in. in one of them, we almost shot it. Um, but that that was the only time that we ever went on a night 
patrol where you actually moved through. Usually you'd set in on an ambush site or a listening post mm -hmm. and stay there for the whole night. Uh, one time I had dysentery and we were on a uh, listening post and, and the guys literally, I had dysentery real bad and, and uh, they, they literally got up and moved about 50 yards away because they, you could hear me uh, getting sick over on the other side and uh, the next morning they came over and got me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, they had some pills that you could take. They call them shit pills and they were a little bitty. I don't know what kind, but uh, my aunt uh, was a nurse and when I came back from Vietnam I had the same problem adjusting to American food and she, she got me some of those pills. Mm -hmm. uh, while you're over there, if, when you do come back to the rear area, you can stay up during the night and well they you have a job even when you're back in the rear you either burn shitters or you stand watch now if you burn shitters it only takes about 30 minutes to do that and and by doing that it's you pull out uh, uh, the the it's a half of a barrel and you pull it out and pour uh, diesel fuel in there and, and light it on fire and let it burn for a few 30 minutes or whatever and then you put it back in you're through well you, you just try and wash up and everything as good as you can and uh, you're through the deal otherwise you gotta wait in the middle of the night to do your watch and you don't get a full night's sleep well you don't get a full night's sleep very often so you take uh -huh. you take the lesser of the two evils yeah. And uh, sometimes when you're back in the rear, you can go to this one area that's a Mars uh, uh, deal where they, uh, I forget what the Mars stands for, but you can call back home. Hmm. And uh, it's the, uh, what, what, what is the radio thing that you can, some people have it as oh well. ham radios yeah ham radio mm -hmm. and and we really appreciate those guys they uh, by by them doing what they did you could call home and it would only cost you from California to Little Rock and but you could only talk for like three minutes mm -hmm. and and that was it and you had to say over each time you were through so that the other person could talk. Well, the mm -hmm. other person on the Little Rock, they don't know uh, what what to do. Well, the first time I called, my parents weren't at home, and the person that answered was my brother Donnie, and Donnie was about five years old. <laughs> and so the conversation didn't go real well, but... Uh, Uh, but it brought some tears. Uh, back in the rear, they they would have USO shows every once in a while. Um, they were usually Filipino uh, in, bands, uh, and um, there was. 
one instance where there was some strippers, huh. uh, and, and I, why they did that, I don't know, <laughs> especially, you know, with Marines all around. Yeah. But um, I did get to see that once, and uh, uh, warned my dad when I filmed that, and uh, so that the family didn't get to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of the family, did you keep in touch with home much? I wrote as often as I could. Um, you didn't have m much writing material to write down. Um, whenever you got sea rations, you could um, open the boxes up. You wouldn't keep the box. You'd, you'd just use the cans. And the box lid, you could write on it and send a little bit of a message on it. And on the other side, you could write the address and say free up in the corner, and you didn't have to pay any postage when you're in war, and and uh, it would get sent back. And uh, I have some letters like that that, mm -hmm. that my mom saved. Uh, speaking of sea rations, you would you get choppered in some some food. Sometimes, sometimes you didn't. You'd, you'd starve quite a bit, and uh, especially during monsoon season when the choppers couldn't get in. But uh, when you did get sea rations, you would open the case up and turn it upside down so nobody would see what was in the boxes, and you just took a chance at it. And when once you saw what you got. If you got ham and motherfuckers where you didn't want that, you wanted something else, well then you'd trade with somebody. Mm -hmm. And I didn't drink coffee, so I would trade the the packets of coffee for, uh, or, or I didn't smoke either, so uh, I would trade that for cocoa uh, mm -hmm. they'd have. Uh, you, you'd get a candy bar in there and, and uh, that uh, everybody wanted, uh, Peaches and pound cake. That was that was to die for. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Well, I gotta ask what it, what's ham and motherfuckers? Ham, ham and bean. Ham and lima bean. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, there were times when you would uh, you'd come to a hill where other Marines had been, and you didn't have any food, well, you'd be scrounging. And I was good at scrounging. I, I was very good at it. And uh, I'd, you could go down the hill some, and, and whenever uh, a company would leave one hill, they would puncture some of the food that they weren't going to take with them, and they'd throw it down the hill. And by puncturing it, it the food would go bad, and the enemy couldn't use it. Well. What you could, could do is you could open those cans up and scrape off the top of it and eat mm -hmm. the bottom half of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's been many a time where I scraped the maggots off of something and ate the bottom part of mm -hmm. it. And uh, you just learn to live with it. Uh, water, um, I have drank out of bomb crater water. Uh, we would put iodine tablets in it and uh, Kool-Aid. <laughs> and and uh, you just learn uh, to deal with it. Um, I have eaten uh, banana tree plants. 
uh-huh. where, where you cut the stalk out and carve out the middle of it and make a gooey type salad out of it. Uh-huh. Um, uh, we did eat some raw fish out of a creek one time but because uh, we didn't want to give our position away from heating it. But most of the time we we had food and the water was uh, most of the time pretty clean. We did climb uh, waterfalls. Uh, hmm. uh, if it was on our area to go through, you, you did what you were told and, and we climbed there were some beautiful uh, creeks uh, in, in the mountains there. We did, uh, we did, you were talking about, um, you were asking about booby traps and mm-hmm. stuff. We walked into one area one time. Hey, we're back with Eddie Odell and his uh, talking about his Vietnam experiences and I think we had finished up. You had talked about climbing, you'd climbing up waterfalls, and then you were talking about um, going around a hill or something. And something had my question about booby traps that oh, prompted okay. that. Yeah. Um, we had we had walked into this um, area that we hadn't been before, and and there were tree uh, roots. Er- huge roots uh, coming out of the side of this mountain and and uh, there it reminded me of a scene I saw later on in uh, a Tarzan movie I think made in the 90s or, or around 2000 and uh, it had some of the trees with the roots uh, all over the place but the enemy had dug into the side of this hill but they had run off and, and um we don't know where they went to, but uh, but we had to check all of the um, holes that they had dug. Uh, it wasn't tunnels. They they didn't dig tunnels there. Uh, it was uh, more like a, a deep foxhole. But it uh, they dig in and then they would turn either left or right hmm. into it. Uh, and uh, so when you went in, you uh, somebody give you a flashlight and you. I was small back then, and, and uh, I was the smallest, so I had to do that, and, and that was scary uh, because it'd be dark, and, and uh, never did find anybody in there. No traps, um, no booby traps, but uh, we did find some um, um, morphine and uh, some of their food. Uh, some letters that they were sent writing mm-hmm. back home to their families and uh, pictures of uh, girlfriends or wives and uh, we we took all that and uh, sent it back to the rear. So how far would those have gone in? About how deep would you say? I, I can't I can't remember it, it was like from me to you, mm-hmm. and then left or right, yeah. and not not even that far. Yeah. But um, if you'd thrown a grenade in there, it would have gotten them anyway. But it, you wouldn't be able to shoot straight into them because they'd be over on the left or right, right. supposedly. But we never did see them. Hmm. But, um, 
it was it was a picture out like out of a movie though on that. Um, let's see. Uh, race relations. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. We had um, we had about twenty percent was black, ten um, percent was Mexican, and the rest was Caucasian. Mm-hmm. Whenever you were out in the bush, it it didn't matter what color you were. You 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 had to depend upon the other person and uh, you got along just fine there were, wasn't any problems when you got back to the rear uh, everybody went their own way on that and uh, there was separation uh, pretty much uh, voluntarily I, I would say on that uh, there's a there's a book I don't know if you've read it or not but it's uh, called Matterhorn and it's, it's written by a marine um, officer, uh, he's uh, he, he's described some of the the way that we move from hill to hill, and uh, uh, but he's he's thrown in a lot of combat in there that uh, I really question whether whether it happened or not. But uh, and, and then he throws in some things that that. Like seeing uh, uh, somebody in, in his group saw a tiger and got killed by a tiger or something like that. Well, that you just didn't see tigers. <laughs> um, I did see what I thought was a, some cat one one night while we were on an ambush site, but uh, it was during monsoon season and I just saw the eyes and mm. I don't know, but it wasn't that human. Yeah. Well, on the race relations, let me go back to that for okay. a second. You, you said when you were out in the bush, everything was good, but when you came back to the rear, everybody kind of went their own ways and everything. Was there ever any tension back in the rear? No, not that I know of, but okay. we weren't back there very long to find out. Yeah, uh, we were. We never stayed back in the rear area more than 24 hours. Oh, okay. Uh, we were always um, on the go uh, somewhere. Um, we had one guy that froze up during a uh, during a firefight, and uh, he was on the trail. Uh, this is a white guy. Um, I'm, I'm changing the subject That's okay. here. I'm That's sorry. Okay. No, That's but uh, he. he um, uh, um, he just froze, and, and uh, the squad leader told me to go go get him, and uh, I told him, I said, you go get him, <laughs> and he said, that's an order, and so I ran and tackled him, and uh, he, uh, he he knocked out of it then, I guess, or something, but uh, anyway, we, we ended up getting the enemy, uh, or some of them, and they ran off, but... Uh, we got back to the rear uh, a few weeks later, and this guy was named Baby Huey, and he he liked to drink a lot of water at one time. He carried twice the canteens that anybody else did, and he could drink two thirds of a 
canteen with you know just one dip time wow and uh, uh, we spent 24 hours back in the rear and then when we got ready to go uh, they instead of choppering us out they told us we were going just to start walking out uh, of the perimeter into this one area and uh, we'd spend the night on top of this hill overlooking the safe area well uh, we get about halfway up that hill and uh, baby Huey decides to drink some of his water somebody had put car- uh, uh, diesel fuel in his canteens and he had drank it without even thinking and uh, he drank two thirds of that canteen of diesel fuel and on that film that I gave you uh, you, you can barely see him being choppered out. Hmm. Uh, he, he's that they just lowered a rope and tied him up. I him saw up. that part. Okay, yeah. well he's being choppered out at that point, and we never saw him again. Yeah. But uh, I didn't do it to him, and I don't know who did. Right. But uh, um, as far as mistreating the the enemy, we didn't we didn't have any prisoners, so we didn't. Uh, we didn't have to deal with that. Uh, when I became squad leader, I made sure that there wasn't any uh, messing with the bodies. Um, in fact, our guys didn't want to touch the bodies. Uh, I had to do that, uh, check them. Because if you flipped them over, they might have a grenade or something right. set off. Now, that, that was a possibility. And uh, uh, one time uh, we had called in mortars on these uh, people, uh, the, the enemy, and uh, turned out that uh, one of them was a female nurse. Hmm. And uh, that was kind of uh, an awakening there. We, we did, uh, when, when we would call in mortars uh, around a village uh, down there around Da Nang, the owner of that land wanted money because the rice paddies were being destroyed. Yeah. And you could understand that, but they wanted it immediately. Mm-hmm. And we'd tell them we don't have the money. And uh, I said, we just saved your life. You know, And, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they couldn't grasp that. But we, they had somebody that would come in and pay them. Uh, Eddie, uh, my friend Eddie could tell you more about that. Mm-hmm. So did you have much interaction with civilians? No. Um, uh, Up in the mountains for nine months, I did not see, uh, well, for six months, I didn't see a female. (laughs) Uh, And uh, and then when when I went on R&R to Tokyo, uh, that was obvious there. But... uh, there, there were up in the mountains some mountain yards, and we did come to a, uh, a place close to Quezon where there was a house on the side of a hill, and it was just out of nowhere, and we couldn't figure out how in the world did this family get here and just manage to live here, but. 
Yeah. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. Mm -hmm. But they weren't the enemy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> but that was the only time I, I can remember seeing, oh, uh, when you did get back to the rear area, even up in the mountain area, uh, there would be some Vietnamese that would wash clothes for money, uh, uh, cut your hair, uh, do different things for, for the money. Yeah. How would you say they reacted to your presence or to the American presence in general? They were, uh, they were glad to have food on the table. And I think where, where we were at, um, we, we, they were glad to see us. Um, I can't think of any instance where they vocally came out. There was one time where uh, one one night we spent the night in a uh, a burial uh, a cemetery hmm. type thing. It wasn't really a cemetery. Um, a family had buried their people there and uh, we had spent the night there and it was their New Year's and the next day they came out and brought us some rice cakes hmm. and uh, uh, welcome in the New Year. Uh, we didn't, the rice cakes weren't very good, but, <laughs> but it was a nice gesture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, being that you were um, you know, up in the mountains for a long time, and then you were also down, you know, more in the lowland areas. Could you, would you say that there was much, in the mountains, I, you know, we talked about how you dealt more with the NVA, where in the lowlands, probably more Viet Cong. Well. Or not necessarily. Um, Still around Da Nang, it was more NVA. Okay, okay. Than, than they, the NVA was trying to recruit mm -hmm. out of these villages, and, and uh, uh, they were uh, that's about all I got to say about that. I, I don't know for sure, but yeah. I think that's what we I'll, were fighting. Yeah, I'd, I guess where I was going, I was just curious if you had noticed much difference between fighting NVA or fighting Viet Cong? No. Um, the area, both places, they just, it just seemed to be the same type tactics. Mm -hmm. and, um, seemed like the same type of clothing. Mm -hmm. Now, when we did get, uh, when we talked about Jay Childress dying, uh, the person that shot him was a kid. Uh, hmm. It was a teenager that had come around earlier that day, they said. He was uh, on a bicycle selling uh, um, soda pop, and, um, Pepsi, I think, and uh, uh, they had bought some from him. and. Hmm. and uh, they said that it was him. I don't know for sure, though. Um, I did not let any of my guys mistreat the bodies of, of the enemy. Um, there was earlier 
when we were up in the mountains, they they would uh, put leave an ace of spades. Our guys would leave an ace of spades on some of the enemy, and mm. that would, and they would carve some of the people up. And uh, I'd never let that happen. Yeah. The um, when I came back from from R and R, and I was I was at the last rear area. The I, I walked by a major and I saluted him and he stopped me and wanted to know what unit I was with and I thought man I'm in trouble for I didn't salute right or something <laughs> and uh, I told him and he said you stand right here and uh, he asked me how long I had had my uh, my glasses were broken uh, right down the middle and uh, I told him it's been it'd been about four months and uh, and anyway, 30 minutes later, I was on a, cho uh, a chopper to a hospital ship, a Red Cross ship, getting glasses for not only for me but for everybody in my company. Huh. And uh, he evidently chewed somebody out. <laughs> but uh, I had like at that point, I had like four or five pairs of glasses for me. But while I was on that ship. Uh, that was the only time I was on a Red, uh, a Red Cross ship, and uh, you got um, you got to go through lines of food for food, and while you're waiting there, and one line was for hamburgers, hot dogs. The other was cooked meal of some type, and uh, it, it it was real nice. <laughs> I bet, I bet. But uh, that the ship was off the coast somewhere. I don't know. I, I don't remember the name of the ship either. Yeah. But um, officers got long rations while they were out in the bush, and that is um, dehydrated food. You just add water to it, and uh, you can hot water if you can heat it up. And it was it was good food, um, a lot better than sea rations, and. Uh, um, we uh, enlisted didn't get to get that. Well, whenever we got back to the rear area, uh, I was good at sc scavenging, and and, and, um, and uh, anyway, I found out where the long rations were, and I got that to my guys. <laughs> so we, you get to carry. It's a lot lighter in your mm. pack. Oh yeah, and yeah, I thought about that. Uh, that was, uh, I was a good scavenger. Did you ever scavenge anything besides long rations? Um, we did, uh, I did get, uh, uh, I might as well tell you, I broke into the officer's compound where they had guards and uh, I cut some wires, to, uh, Constantina wire and uh, crawled through and uh, found out that they had, I had scoped it out earlier that day and they had uh, ice cream. Wow. And, and <laughs> um, 
they had a room that they could keep the frozen stuff in and when the MPs were on the other side of the uh, compound I, I snuck in and got two uh, they were 10 gallon buckets of it or whatever and uh, uh, I threw one over the concertina wire to a buddy that was waiting and he didn't catch it <laughs> and it was strawberry and and it just fell flat on the, all out on the floor ground and uh, and then uh, the next one I threw to him he caught it and and so we ate ice cream that night oh. all our whole company <laughs> where was that at do you remember uh, it was at LZ Stud oh. uh, or Vandergrift as uh, was a technical name for it oh. but uh, that uh, in that book, Batterhorn, uh, the, the officer talks about a movie uh, being shown there, which, which is true. They did have movies back in the rear area, and he said it was on a stage, but I don't remember a stage being there. I, all I can remember is being shown a movie on the back, on the wall of a tent, mm -hmm. and everybody sitting around watching it. And I want to say it was... Uh, the Beatles uh, Yellow Submarine <laughs> and uh, when I came back home through Okinawa I saw my first movie uh, first R-rated movie I guess it was uh, mm -hmm. but it was The Graduate oh yeah, yeah. Um, what do you Napalm uh, only only saw and smelled napalm one time and uh, they uh, it was uh, the instance where we had uh, we had killed the uh, Chinese uh, observer and uh, it, it was pretty hot close to us but it was hot there anyway mm -hmm. <laughs> all the time um, Let's see. During the rainy season, you would get immersion foot or trench foot, uh, whatever you want to call it, and uh, it's where you, you can't keep your feet dry. And uh, uh, I, I wish I'd have brought or kept some some more socks than I did. But I had it real bad, and you'd have to go on patrol, and you'd have cracks in your in the bottom of your feet that would be bleeding uh, mm -hmm. on there, and uh, there wasn't anything you could do about it. You just had to keep going. Yeah. Uh, you sometimes, while you you know, uh, you hear stories sometimes about drug use over there yeah how, how prevalent do you think that that was when you got back to the rear it was very common but when you're out in the bush very very seldom did you uh, smell any pot um, didn't see any heroin uh, definitely no cocaine uh, uh, I, the time that I got arrested a um, and put they put me in that cell. Later on that night, they put a guy in there with me, and uh, he had uh, no dog tags, 
and once he came inside, I asked him what he, what was he in for, and uh, they said they got me for heroin, and uh, they they just pretended like he didn't even exist. They told him in front mm -hmm. of him, in front of me, so they said, "You don't have any dog tags. You won't tell us your name. You don't even exist to us. You're not getting any food, mm -hmm. no water, nothing." And uh, uh, so the next morning they marched me to a mess hall. He stayed back in there, mm -hmm. and I never saw him again. Mm -hmm. but, um, but you get back to the rear, you uh, uh, there, there'd be a lot of experimenting on the pot. Uh, I don't know how people got it, but uh, somebody back in the rear would, would have something to sell. Right. There was a lot of people making money off of the, uh, off of the grunts. Uh, a rifleman. You, I don't know what the the ratio is. I, I want to say it's like one to five or ten, uh, one to ten. For every one rifleman, there were like ten guys back in the rear hmm. doing things. So when you hear somebody being in Vietnam, it doesn't mean that they humped the hills right. and, and did uh, actually combat. Uh, some people, um, some people will lie to you on, on some things like that yeah. to make themselves better. And you know, I, I hope I didn't didn't lie about anything here. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't. Um, there was when I was out around Hill 10 in Da Nang uh, one of the guys in my squad was named Peacock and he was from Arkansas hmm. and I saw him years later while I was in college in Conway I, I was at a grocery store and he was uh, he was walking down one of the aisles and I saw the tattoo of the peacock on his side, and I yelled at him, and uh, we hugged right there. <laughs> I had mailed him some uh, some booze through the mail, and uh, it his favorite drink was Southern Comfort, and I I'm, I got my mom. I wasn't old enough to buy it, and uh, I got my mom to buy it for me, and and it was six bottles six half pints and we put it in a cushioned package and all of them got to him but one he said <laughs> and uh, but, uh, to get mail was a special thing there uh, if, if you got a package you were in hog heaven uh, you were popular with the rest of the guys because <laughs> you, you were going to share some of that whatever it was and uh, my mom would send uh, cans of uh, tuna fish. Uh, uh, she would put uh, popcorn uh, as cushion for anything, huh. and uh, you you'd eat that popcorn, you because uh -huh. it was already popped, and and even if it was stale, it was something <laughs> something back home. Uh -huh. uh, I can't remember what candy bars, but they were all melted uh, uh -huh. by then. Um, but uh, 
one time we had gone without food for a long time and for a couple of days I guess and and uh, uh, the first thing we got was some mail and I got a package and one of my aunts from Augusta she was the postmistress there in Augusta mm -hmm. and and she had mailed me a fruitcake and I don't care for fruitcake at all but we <laughs> we ate fruitcake that day and we were glad to have it I bet um, let's see. Oh, uh, well, back to when we were up in the DMZ, you you had to worry about your own guys shooting over, uh, shooting the big guns over your head. Mm -hmm. uh, they were shooting over into North Vietnam or into the DMZ, and any short rounds uh, might hit you. So you you would listen to the sound of it going, and and once you knew that from the sound it, it had already gone past you, you'd start uh, breathing a little bit better at yeah, that point. I bet we uh, we didn't see any Navy SEALs. Uh, around we did have some uh, marine recon hmm. uh, guys and uh, uh, the the recon would come in like four or five they'd let us know ahead of time they were coming by us so we wouldn't shoot them and they would not have hardly anything on them but a rifle and a canta canteen and that was about it and their excuse me their ammunition, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and that was it. I did have one friend that was a recon um, that he fell in uh, he fell into a booby trap, and the enemy ha had had uh, killed the rest of the guys in his squad, and he played dead. And, hmm. and uh, was able to get away, but it messed up his stomach for uh, all his life. He was having to take tons of aspirin all the time, and uh, it was a booby trap with the spikes um, yeah. sticking up. Mm -hmm. hmm. But it messed his intestines up. But, uh, you got anything else? I well, I was trying to, I was going to ask you, I know you said a little bit, but do you remember any funny stories, something humorous that happened while you were over there? Um, well, I, I told you about the Trepaconi. Well, actually, we haven't talked about that on, on tape, so I'd like to you hear like, that okay. story. Yeah. All right. Uh, Trepaconi was uh, a squad leader, and he was a good good squad leader. Uh, we had gone on patrol and come back, and it was right our where we were staying at was on like a little beach r right off of this river, and we had pitched our tents up, and um, we had come back from patrol patrol, and I had already climbed into the tent. And he had, uh, he carried 
one of the blooper guns that um, you can shoot a grenade with it. It's like a sawed-off shotgun, and you, you can shoot a grenade or you can shoot a, a shotgun round. And he had a shotgun round in there, and he had put the gun up on the stick that separates the two parts of the tent, and and he had accidentally put it on the trigger rather than the safety, and it went off and it shot right between his legs. And uh, when it did, uh, I thought that we, we had been hit, and uh, I was looking around and saw that it, what had happened actually. So I got, I always kept on my helmet a first aid uh, pouch thing, and I ripped that open and, and uh, covered his crotch with it, and we called in uh, choppers, and uh, they came and got him. But while he was, uh, he was in shock at that point, but uh, while he was being put on the chopper, we were looking in the sand to see if we could find any of of his uh, of his dick, mm-hmm. and 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 he one nut was mm-hmm. what he lost, but we couldn't find it, <laughs> and uh, we got a, a letter from him uh, about three weeks later, and he said that the doctor had told him that he would be able to have children, that uh, he was one inch shorter, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and and minus one nut, but he was okay. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he was a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had another guy that that uh, he was mad that we we had gotten mail and he didn't get any mail, and so he he was. Uh, he he was a machine gunner, so he he carried a pistol with him, and he was cleaning his pistol, and he was using my back to prop himself up. You would do that when you're out there in the bush, and I was reading a letter from home, and uh, all of a sudden I hear uh, a round go off, and uh, and I turn around and look, and he had he was cleaning his pistol, but it had a round in it. Mm-hmm in the chamber and it went off and it went through his uh, the upper part of his knee and out the bottom part of his knee and uh, about a week later well we got him choppered out and uh, a week later a CID uh, guy came out looking for me and I, I couldn't figure out what in the world have I done to deserve some a CID man well, he wanted to know if this was an accident or if it was on purpose. And uh, I told him it was an accident. And he said, well, uh, he, then he set up for life at that point, that he mm-hmm. would never have to uh, come back and, mm-hmm. and he would be financially taken care of, I guess, right. for that. But it was an accident that he that he had done that. But, uh, I'm trying to think of anything funny, but uh, there's uh, uh, 
I don't know. I well, should have okay. no, wrote okay. something down. It's <laughs> okay. I was just curious. Well, do you remember, I guess, did you uh, keep track of your time while you were in oh, Vietnam? Yeah. Yes, I did. Um, I had a little Snoopy uh, piece of paper that uh, you'd mark off the days that you had left. And since I was... Um, since I knew that I was going to have to stay over there for over a year in order to get an early out, I went over the year and uh, made some other notations on, on the thing, and it turned out to be a year and 11 days um, hmm. that I had marked off on it. it uh, I had kept that in a plastic bag to keep it dry the whole time. Uh, different people different uh, used different things to get them by, but... That was my getting by mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Um, okay, I can think of one thing that's kind of funny. Um, when you're over there, you don't bathe. Uh, you, you all smell the same, and you don't use deodorant. Uh, like I said, you don't brush your teeth. Um, you just don't have the items, and you can't carry all that with you. And uh, um, one time, well, your flat jacket will rub you in different places, mm. and you will get boils. And uh, one time, I had a boil on the back of my neck, and we had uh, we had gone out on a uh, an ambush site, and it had uh, it was monsoon season; it was raining. And you carry, some guys would carry a poncho and, and some guys would carry a poncho liner. And the poncho liner uh, would be to sleep. It'd, it'd get cold at night sometimes. And, uh, and you would use that, uh, especially when it's raining, and uh, cover yourself with that. Well, uh, the, uh, that night, uh, nothing particular happened that night but the morning came and it was my poncho liner and I felt something on there that was real gooey and uh, I was blaming the guy next to me uh, for masturbating <laughs> and uh, uh, it turned out that wasn't the case. My boil had burst, <laughs> and uh, that was that was what it was. I apologized to him later, <laughs> but you didn't think about sex. Yeah, it, it, it was. It wasn't even back in the rear. You didn't you didn't think of it because there wasn't any women around. Hmm. Now, when you got around. Um, Da Nang, uh, there were Vietnamese women around, and there was prostitution, and uh, but I never took advantage of that. <laughs> Not there, anyway. But uh, they, uh, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Now, oh. Uh, Um, homosexuality when you got back to the rear there were 
some people back there that would um, you'd be standing watch at night and uh, somebody might come around and want to sit around and talk with you well that wasn't what they were wanting to do mm. and uh, uh, I didn't handle that very well I, I threatened to shoot somebody one mm. time if they didn't go on their way and uh, but um I've learned to be a little bit nicer about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, to say that there weren't anything, wasn't anything like that going on, that'd be a lie. There, mm-hmm. there was something back in the uh, rear areas, but not, not out in the bush. I, I, I never saw anything like that. Mm-hmm. And you just really. You didn't. You didn't have time to think about it. I guess about sex. I don't know. Yeah. Well, do you remember when you left Vietnam? Yeah. I was with. Um, I was on Hill 55, and I had, in order to get out of the service, out of Vietnam, I had to go there for some reason. I couldn't stay at, uh, with my group at Hill 10, but for, for about seven days I was on this hill. And uh, so I, I really could say that I was with, with the 3rd Marine Division and the 1st Marine Division on Hill 10 and then this last deal I was with 28th Marines or I can't remember but they have a uh, a thing that that you can wear that's a little rope of a thing that you can put on your uniform or something but I, I never did do that. Um, they were, and and once they, I got choppered back from there to Da Nang, which I don't I don't understand why I was choppered because it's not that far away, and, and mm-hmm. you you could ride a jeep into town. Well, um, they were. I can remember they were playing a band was playing and, and stuff and I said well what's what's all that for and they said that they were having a change of, of leadership uh, one general was leaving and mm-hmm. another one was coming in or something and that's what they were doing and uh, uh, it was like I'm just a side item here <laughs> <laughs> there's, yeah. there's the general another authority uh-huh. figure there Do you remember where you flew when you left Vietnam? How did you come back? Do you remember? I I think it was El Toro. It's, uh, I think it's where, but we came. We didn't come through Hawaii. Uh, we went to Okinawa, and and, and from Okinawa we we flew to uh, Alaska, huh. uh, and. Uh, 
Anchorage, Alaska, and uh, I think it was Anchorage, and uh, I got to see the snow and the mountains and stuff for for about thirty minutes, <laughs> and, and then uh, then we flew down the coast, and, and um, uh, but leaving Vietnam, you could see the I don't know. If, what they call them there, but you could, uh, you know, it's like the sampans of China, mm -hmm. uh, those type boats. They'd be in the harbor uh, of uh, Da Nang, and uh, it was beautiful from an aerial view, seeing and knowing that you weren't coming back. Yeah, yeah. but that was a good feeling. Uh, my friend Eddie goes back every once in a while mm -hmm. uh, to Vietnam, but. Uh, I, I don't have plans on doing that. Uh, where I was at, you can't go there. Uh, it's, it's all mountains, and I know it's not developed, and even the rear areas would be hard to get to, probably. Right. right. Um, but uh, I would like to have a like a, a drone video <laughs> of that area over. Yeah. yeah that would be neat well did you experience any kind of reaction when you got back to the states mm. it was uh, my parents had moved while I was gone uh, we had lived on the edge of town and uh, they had moved to uh, they, they had moved close to St. Mary's and um, I got to date some of the Catholic girls at that point. I was in Hog Heaven. <laughs> and, uh, but there was one girl that was across the street from us that uh, she wasn't one of the Catholic girls. But she was like, it was hippie time. And uh, uh, I went over to meet her and, and talk to her. And she was just amazed that I that I would come over and talk to her so that she thought that I was, you know, killing babies and mm -hmm. that type of thing. And, and uh, but anyway, we got to be friends on that. My future wife was just up the hill, uh, three houses up from there. So, and then I dated a gal down the street and, uh, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so did you talked about the one girl that thought you were a baby killer? Did did you experience any kind of any other kind of reactions from other people? No, you know, along those lines. No, uh, I was pretty well accepted um, when I when I went to college. The there was a veterans group that veterans club 
that would uh, meet once a month or something like that. And I, I would be a part of that. It was just mainly to drink beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this it? Where was this at? Uh, UCA. UCA, okay. And uh, uh, the the college let us um, be ushers at the football games, and and we'd get we'd get two bucks, and the veterans club would get two bucks, but it all went to beer. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, that was about the extent of that. Um, there wasn't any protests. Uh, that I can remember streaking was going on back then <laughs> but it, t- it took some adjustment because uh, everybody that I went to school with that was there at, at college they were about ready to graduate and I'm just starting out mm-hmm. down there but uh, I made it on the GI Bill and worked part-time and uh, married after a year. I have two daughters. I think that's about it. Okay. Got some grandkids. <laughs> Those are always good. Uh, I got pictures, uh, and in my flat jacket, I've got a, a, a Bible there. And for for a good long while, all the guys called me preacher, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm the la- last thing you would call me as a preacher. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that was. That was my nickname for a while. Was there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap it up? No, I don't think so, other than... Well, let me ask you one question. I thought of one question I'd like to ask you. What? Did you have a different opinion going into the war from what you had coming out? Yes. I I saw uh, all of the commercialism. I saw money being made off of the war so much. Uh, When you you get around the harbors, you'd see uh, oil company uh, ships, there and uh, you would see um, different brands of, of stuff um, like Agent Orange was being used during that time. It was it, the Agent Orange was all over the DMZ area where we were at, hmm. and, and uh, um, no telling how much money they made off of that and the napalm that uh, the military industry. Later on, I found out that uh, LBJ's wife owned uh, the military plants down in Camden. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and uh, that uh, that's how they made their money after 
But uh, no, I uh, I slowly uh, realized that that we we didn't win the war and we didn't lose the war. We just turned it over, just like they're uh, just like Obama turned it over to. Uh, a rock over and look what's happened now. Mm -hmm. It's just a different, um, different uh, leadership. Yeah. But I've uh, I've come full circle, I guess, on the conservative part. But uh, as far as Vietnam goes, it's it's a good thing that we got out when we did. And uh, who was it, Ford, that got us out of finally? I guess final it was. Deal. Yeah. Well, appreciate you coming in today uh -huh. and hearing about your service. Well, you got to hear more than you probably wanted. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's not true at all. Not true uh -huh. at all. Uh, I enjoyed hearing all of it. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Primary Sources on Radio Cows, a production of the Central Arkansas Library System, its Arkansas History Department, the Butler Center for Arkansas Studies, and the Cows Communications and Public Relations Department. For more information, please visit cows.org and butlercenter.org. Our producer is Glenn Whaley. Production manager is Shelley Stormo. Voices by Jasmine Job and John Miller. Engineering and editing by Anna Lancaster and Shelley Stormo.